welcome to episode 17 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Leah Heigl, and I am here with my co-host, Aidan Muir. And today we're going to be talking about binge eating or specifically binge eating disorder. Um, so I think I'm going to kick it over to Aidan immediately um, with, do you work with many people with binge eating? Yeah, so I actually work with a surprising amount of people with binge yeah. eating. I work with quite a few. It's not like, I'd say like, 10 to 20% of my clients, but obviously just because there's the sheer number of clients, like that, yeah. that is still a decent amount. And it's something that I avoided for a long time. Um, I, I originally did start my business in 2016 and then I worked for somebody else. And the tricky thing about working for somebody else is you can't avoid stuff. <laughs> like if somebody wants to give your business money, <laughs> like if it's my own business, I can say no. But if it's somebody else's business, got to say yes so like I did have a few years working for somebody else where I had to see people in that position even though I was trying to avoid it and obviously like I like helping people so I'm going to try and learn about it and then coming back to my own business about two years ago I'd been trying to like refer out all these people who've been dating who were coming to see me and somebody like slips through the cracks and they just booked in and they <laughs> they booked in to see me and they said a line to me that just like shook me and the line was basically like that. I don't want to go through this situation, but like I was the only person they were going to see as in they weren't going to see any of a dietitian or anything like that. And they had pretty bad binge eating. And they basically said to me, you're my guy. I trust you to solve this. You're, you're the only person I'm going to see and we're going to work on this together. So I had been seeing people for, for a while, but like in those previous jobs and stuff like that, I... I actually moved around a lot. Like every six months I'd move locations or whatever, whatever like that. So like I never really felt connected to somebody's life. Like I was, I was always trying to help people, but I never had that personal responsibility of being like, if I don't solve this problem, they're never going to solve this or anything like that. And when this guy said that to me, I'm like... <sighs> Big shoes to fill. <laughs> Big shoes to fill. I've, I've, I've got to get better. I've got to get good ideally at helping people with this. So I went massively down that rabbit hole because I did, took courses and everything like that. And... Then it's just grown from there. And, like, I don't think my Instagram or anything like that attracts binge eaters, but, like, there's people in the fitness community who obviously binge eat. Yeah. And I get a lot of people through that. Do you see a lot of people binge eating? I have to say I don't see – definitely not as many as you. Um, it comes comes across my desk occasionally. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't see it as often as I would see other forms of, of disordered eating, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, and – I don't know. I find it really interesting now, like after looking into it a lot, it's, it's, it's a challenging problem basically. And because I have always had a good relationship with food, I find things that are different to me. Interesting. Like I I find it, I find it very interesting. I find it an interesting problem. And because of that, I kind of like working with people in that space now. Um, And I'm also a bit of a believer, whether I'm right or wrong, but in the disordered eating space, I think, one, people in that space, as in if they've got conditions, they probably benefit from being surrounded by people who have overcome it. But I also feel like they need people separate from it as well because in some cases people who have overcome it might share bad qualities, so to speak. I don't think I'm wording that I well. get what you mean. Yeah. Not everyone, I guess, goes about it in the healthiest way to overcome yeah. disordered eating, so it may not be the best person to talk to. Is, yeah. that, is that what you mean? Yeah, to a certain degree, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's good to have, like, both. And, like, just because I've got that degree of separation, sometimes I think that's useful. Yeah. But, yeah, what, what we want to clarify as well 
we, we always say we're not cyclists for, de- for definitions. Well, I'm definitely not. But when it comes to binge eating, I actually am a little bit like, to the point that's probably annoying to some of my clients <laughs> and stuff like that. But um, the definition of binge eating is eating a larger than normal amount of food over a short period of time while also feeling that eating behavior is out of control. That's the starting point. That's really important because that's separate from overeating, particularly when we go into the next category that's like, Binge eating involves three or more of the following, feeling uncomfortably full, eating excessively quickly, eating when not hungry, feeling guilty, disgusting, or sad, eating alone due to embarrassment. So it's got to involve three of those five kind of criteria. Do you get people telling you, like using the word binge when they haven't binge, just like regular overeating or anything? All the time. So I think the the biggest one is like when people really like dessert or they feel yeah. like they can't get away from dessert. They're like, oh yeah, I had... You know, I had a few Tim Tams after dinner last night. I just really binged on them. I'm like, that's technically not binging. Maybe you ate past yeah. the feeling of, like, appetite. Um, but, yeah, I think it's really important to separate overeating from binge eating. Yeah, 100%. And, like, I, like that, that's where I get that a bit annoying because yeah. I'm like, I, I really separate those two things because I, I do not like the terminology being used inappropriately. Like, if, if it is just regular overeating or whatever and that's normal, quote-unquote, it is separate from binge eating and partly actually in that previous job, I got drilled by my employer <laughs> because I used the word binging in regards to something like that because sure. the client used the word binging. And then he's like, you, you do realise like people when they binge, they can eat like 5,000 calories in a sitting. Like that's not abnormal for a binge. What you're talking about is just just kind of overeating. Which everybody does occasionally. Exactly, exactly. And then when we're talking about um, binge eating disorder, the criteria for that, which I care a little bit less about, but like the criteria is it needs to occur at least once per week for at least three months. The reason I, I care a little bit less about that definition, I'm not a stickler for that one, is because it's like, what if somebody binges once every 10 days? That's still an issue. Like, it's that's still, still an not issue. good. Like yeah. we still want to try it. It's very and, arbitrary where they're cutting that off. Yeah, so it's like, and like, yeah. So like, I feel like we can still do better we can still address that all those kind of things I, I don't really care about the definition of binge eating disorder but like that's the definition that we're kind of working with when we're talking about this stuff yeah and moving on to things that make binge eating worse so I think this is a good place for us to to kind of move to because focusing on on these things um, is really going to move the needle when it comes to someone who does binge eat frequently um, so number one is is typically always going to be restriction. Whenever we see binge eating, there's typically some kind of restriction, whether that's caloric restriction, whether it's a restriction of specific kinds of foods, um, there's some kind of restriction there. It could be even tracking calories and macros to a to a certain extent that could lead to some issue with binge eating. Um, so restriction, it's not going to be always the main cause or the only cause, but it's typically always a piece to that larger binge eating puzzle. Um, secondary to that is going to be going long periods of time without eating. So someone who does binge eat, if they also skip breakfast and then eat something at lunchtime and then nothing until you know midnight, that uh, infrequency in, in regards to eating is likely going to make that binge eating worse. And from a practical perspective, like working with people who binge eat, one of the things you touched on is like those things, they're not the cause of binge eating. Yes. If, if I was to go, if I was to do what you just said and go that long without eating, 
there's still zero chance I binge. There's still zero chance of it because I'm not prone to binge eating. There's more, more to it, obviously. But if you get somebody to note down, because I know, I know you like journaling, yeah? You get people to journal. I get people to yeah. journal. Yeah, if, you, if, you, if somebody is journaling what went on in a lead up to their binges, almost every time from what I've seen, they've gone more than four hours without eating before the binge. It's not the cause, but it does massively contribute. And it, I, I think of it in terms of like what I call underlying stuff, because we're going to talk about psychological stuff later, but it's kind of like you can do it. There's a few easy wins in a lot of cases. Like if you have a kind of, which I'll talk about, actually I'll talk about it now. Like if, if you have this thing where you avoid going more than four hours without eating all the time as part of your kind of tra- treatment strat- strategy, it can dramatically reduce the likelihood of binge eating. Um, it could take somebody who's binging most days down to very rarely just that change alone. I, it doesn't solve underlying stuff. Like it doesn't solve the other things that are contributing to that, but it could help prevent the binges or reduce the frequency or everything like that. Um, another kind of thing I want to touch on with that whole like things that often make binging worse and stuff like that is putting foods on a pedestal and stuff like that, or in terms of what you touch on with restriction, where it's kind of like people are typically only going to binge on foods that they view as unhealthy or that they view as detrimental to their goals or anything like that. Because almost everybody who binges is striving to get leaner. It's, I'm yet to meet somebody who binge eats, who's like... Who's not trying to lose weight. Who's not trying to lose weight. The, it, I, I'm yet to... I'm not saying they don't exist because they can't exist, but like mm-hmm. I, every, it's hard to find somebody who's stoked with their body and they're like really happy and content and everything like that who also binge eats. So it's like part of the kind of pathology or whatever is this kind of restriction. And there's a saying that I've heard that... I don't, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but it's like nobody binges on broccoli. Like nobody, nobody binges yeah. on like vegetables or like I know I know there's a taste difference but it's like it's also like down to like they also have to view it as counterproductive to their goals as well call it self-sabotage I'm not sure if that's the right way of viewing it but it's often like it is these things that are put on a pedestal that are bad or whatever that they're trying to avoid yeah and common binge foods are definitely going to be things like chips, ice cream, and chocolate. Yeah. They're the three biggest ones that I would see in practice. Um, so, yeah, I definitely haven't seen someone that's like, oh, yeah, I binged on a salad. Yeah. it's just, I mean, yeah, like you said, probably does exist somewhere. Um, yeah. It's just not common. Yeah. And, like, the the example I was, when we were talking earlier, like, I, I talked about diet soft drink. And the reason yeah. why I'm saying, like, well, this one can exist somewhere, but, like, because I have met somebody who's like, oh, no, I, I have heaps of diet soft drink. But, like, I, I have a lot of people who binge on, like one liter plus of soft drink, regular full strength soft drink or full sugar while they're binging on other stuff. And like, it seems rare for them to actually choose the zero sugar one because they don't view that as something that's going to be fattening, so to speak, or whatever. Um, Leading into steps you can take to overcome it from a nutrition standpoint, and we know that nutrition is not the only thing, but some kind of things that I think are relevant is one, prioritizing it. That is a starting point. Something that we spoke about is that people who binge typically are looking to get lean or they're typically looking to lose weight. One of the biggest ways to prioritize this is to actually not try to lose weight during the process, to just aim for roughly maintenance. Whether that's intentional maintenance, whether that's intuitive eating, whether that's whatever it is, but you can't be striving for weight loss at the same time. That could be a really hard 
thing for people to to do if you're binge eating there's obviously underlying reasons to that usually body dissatisfaction is a big part yeah um so buying into the process of of not wanting to or not trying to lose weight is difficult so i'm going to swing that back to you like how do you go about convincing people to partake in that process that's actually that's an exciting question to me because i care about that a lot and i care about it i my my approach is i call it the tick this box first philosophy and basically it's something that like i actually relate a lot of this to like injury management and stuff like that in relation to like how i view my knee injury and stuff like that like it sounds weird to talk about like that but it's like my knee rehab would have gone so much better if i had a tick this box kind of thing being like you were not allowed to return to basketball until you can tick this box, which is like the equivalent of playing multiple basketball games without pain. Something like that or like ticking this box. Like for, for example, ACL rehabs, they have to meet a lot of criteria before they're allowed to return sport in a lot of cases because it's taken so seriously. I view that with binge eating as well. They, most people who binge eat want to lose weight, as we said. Binge eating is also counterproductive to weight loss. Like if, if you look back and you're like binging every, every week or more frequently or maybe even less frequently, it doesn't really matter for the last six months or three months or whatever, you, you're not going to lose weight anyway. Like you're probably not going to lose weight anyway. And even if you did, it's in an incredibly unhealthy way because the way the calories are laid out is a lot of it is going to be coming from quote unquote junk food or whatever. So it's like, it's very counterproductive to that anyway. If that's what you want to do, tick this box first of going binge free for three months is my number. That's an arbitrary number that I have chosen and I will change it based on individuals or whatever. But you've got to tick that box first before we can even think about going into a deficit. That's part of how I sell it. And like, if I'm being fully transparent, (sighs) like some people think of that and they're like, okay, well, if I stop binging, I'm going to lose weight. Like they think about it like that as if it's that simple. The research actually doesn't show that. Like The research actually shows on average when people stop binging, their weight remains the same. But there's a lot of factors that go into that being like, a lot of steps involved in this have to take you away from restriction and everything like that and then that weight remaining the same is not measured super far down the line or anything like that but it's not as simple as oh you stop binging and you lose weight but like that's how i kind of sell it i don't talk about it in terms of weight loss but i'm like you got to tick this box first if that's what you care about and you're working towards that i want you to work towards this first i want you to work towards not binging for three months that's the first priority yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's it's definitely the best way to to go about it. A way I try to explain to to some of my clients is that basically we're taking the calories that you would usually use in a binge and we're spreading it out yeah, throughout the day that's good too. and focusing on fueling your body well, um, not re- not restricting and just being healthy and living in an optimal way um, whilst also focusing on, you know, a few other things from a psychological perspective. Um, but yeah, you're just spreading those calories out and you're usually putting them towards things that are actually going to make you feel good. So it does make sense why your, your weight would be somewhat maintained. Yeah. And like, I don't know if like healthy sells it to people but like i do know that like spreading it out being like well it comes out the same anyway (laughs) like that like makes a lot of sense it's more like like a less like feeling better because in my experience a lot of people who do binge eat when they're restricting they feel tired yeah crap um so not only do they feel bad when they are binging and post binge but they're also feeling it's bad so, when they're restricted yeah it's a vicious cycle yeah um so other stuff the one that i touched on is like eating three to, uh, eating every four hours max while awake um or aiming for five to six eating occasions across the day even if they're just one of those is like a small snack or something like that or more than one could be a small snack um 
other stuff is obviously in the pursuit of maintaining weight or whatever, you've got to focus on eating enough calories. Also not restricting any individual macronutrient in terms of like not striving for low carb, not striving for really low fat or anything like that. Like trying for a bit more balance seems to really help with this as well. And another kind of final strategy from a nutrition perspective that I use with clients is creating a hierarchy of trigger foods. So we just kind of talked about how there's these foods on a pedestal. Um, those ones that you mentioned, what do you say, chips, chocolate and like pastries or biscuits or cookies? Or I like feel like it's it's chips, chocolate and ice cream. Ice cream and I feel it. like yeah, I yeah, have yeah. read that in research yeah. as being like the top, don't quote me, but maybe what? like out of the top yeah. 10, you know, foods that are, are binged on. Exactly, yeah. And the only other one that I really see commonly is like bread or wraps or like I see that a little yes. bit less commonly, yep. but it, it is in there. So like creating a bit of a hierarchy of being like, well, what is this What is this individual's or this person who binges, what is their most feared in terms of like I can't open that package without it turning into a binge kind of scenario? Um, and then working down a little bit to get lower down the list and then like maybe the third or fourth food on the list or maybe depending on how long the list is, like we work from the bottom up, we reintroduce those trigger foods in a safe environment. And this is a tip I actually got from a course and I do use this with clients and it's actually worked really, really well where it's like you have a small slash moderate serve of that food and then leave the house and go for a walk with your partner, family, friend, someone else. Obviously, for this to work, like, somebody else in your life has to know that this is an issue. Yeah. So, like, that that's that's a stepping stone that's that can be hard for some people. And, like, it only really works. But coincidentally enough, pretty much everybody I've worked with in this space, people in their life know. Like, they, they've spoken about it and everything like that. I don't know if I've just lucked into that, but, like, that's how it's been for me. Um, and going for that walk, therefore, means there's zero chance of binging because, one, you're with other people. Typically, people do binge alone. Not everybody, but a lot of people who binge do binge alone. They won't do it in front of people. And you're building a positive experience of that food. You're having an experience which is good, which it's probably been ages since that has happened. Um, and it's in a very low stress kind of environment because there's zero chance of it turning into a binge because you're not even in the same room as the food anymore. Um, something that I've used really, really well that you can slowly introduce stuff. And the only caveat or caution I have with that is don't try and be too aggressive with the reintroduction process. Don't try and test a new food every single day or anything like that. Like, Don't rush the process. Don't rush the process. Like have one food wait a couple of days, do it again. Wait a couple of days, do it again. Don't rush it and it seems to work pretty well. It's not the only thing, but it is one way that you can start reintroducing foods. And as we said, restriction is part of the issue. We have to unravel that some way. This seems to be one of the approaches that's worked well. Do you ever find, like obviously you work um, from the, the lower things on that list. Do you ever find people get to a certain point where they are really scared to approach a certain food in that way? Yeah. Yeah, um, this I I don't know. I I'm happy changing my opinion on this in the next few years. But like right now, something that I find really interesting is that do we need to get to the point that there's zero trigger foods ever? What is a normal relationship with food? Sure. Like I, this is gonna be a bad example, but I'm gonna use a personal example. There's almost no foods that I overeat, as in like unintentionally. There is one food though. I find that crazy. Oh, there's one. Okay. Yeah, there, there is okay, one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. So, like, you know those Woolworths cookies, like the ones they make. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those are the, like I've opened a package and I've had one, and I'm like, oh, the package is open now. Like I don't want it to go stale. That'll ruin them and it'll happen. And like, there, there's been like a few times where I've gotten and I've had like the whole five or whatever, and it's like, well, that's that's not binging, <laughs> but like, no. but it's like that's one package that if I open, I always have more than I want. And now I actually I just don't get those anymore because it's happened every time I've done it. Does it affect my quality of life? Does it affect my quality of life that I don't have those? 
it's a bit of a weird trait, but like outside of that, it doesn't affect me at all. No, that makes complete sense. And I've prefaced this entire thing by being like, I have a great relationship with food. Yeah. If I have a food like that, do we need to get to the point that somebody who's so far at the other end of the spectrum needs to never have any foods that they can't open a package without taking it too far? As I said, I can change my opinion on this. And, like, one of the caveats on that as well is it's, like, it depends on what the food is. Like, if it's chocolate, like, chocolate is so in our everyday it's lives. Everywhere. It's, like, you can't have that be the food, like, in my yeah. opinion. But if it's, like, one small thing. Something that's very specific. If it's something that's very specific, then yes. So, like, that that's a bit of a weird example. Where I'm, like, I don't, I don't think we need to be perfect with every single thing. Of course. That could be one rare exception that I just talked about. Yeah, because I guess everyone has that food that they know that they'll probably overeat on, so they tend to not keep it in the house. Yeah. And that's really normal. And like I, that's yeah, I wouldn't normal see eating. that as disordered yeah. eating. The fact I can't have Biscoff spread in my cupboard all yeah. the time because I'll overshoot my calories like yeah. by eating it out of the jar doesn't mean I have an issue with food. So I think that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. So like maybe there can be one or two foods that you don't need to trial because there's that kind of fear. But yeah, those are my thoughts. Sure. All right, so moving on to kind of the final part of this discussion, now that we've talked about ways that you can manage binging through nutrition or food-related things, psychology is a huge part of, of when we're talking about any kind of disordered eating. So a few things that I would always suggest as part of binge eating management um, would be firstly seeing a psychologist in conjunction with seeing a dietitian or working on things from a diet perspective. Even if you're not working with a dietitian, I'd still say seeing a psychologist is like number one on your list if you have any kind of disordered eating. It's really a non-negotiable, hey, like yeah. that, that was the biggest thing I took away from those courses and stuff like that. Because like I'd always read it being like, oh, you should see a psychologist. But like, no, like you, you, you really need, should. It's, it's part of the the treatment. And the big other takeaway is that like, all the approaches, like the gold standard approaches, are somewhere between 20 sessions and 40 sessions. It's not like you just see a psychologist a couple of times. It's, it's a big process. It's like you go, you got to go regularly. And um, we're lucky in Australia. We actually get eating disorders care plans that, to see yeah, psychologists. They're, they're like 40 sessions per year. Um, that doesn't mean it's free, to the best of my knowledge, you get a rebate. It could be free, but like it depends on if they bulk bill or not. But like that's why there's 40 sessions for eating disorders because that's, that's kind of what it takes. And it's like if you don't, nail it with a psychologist in your first trial or whatever like it doesn't seem to help the first try the best advice i can give is not giving up <laughs> you just try a new psychologist maybe you didn't click with that one yeah. like it's so non-negotiable it's like you need to try multiple basically and buying into the fact that it is a long process like if you're seeing a psychologist for 40 sessions even if you're seeing them fortnightly that's a that's a long time a long you're time. seeing a psychologist and things will likely slowly improve over that time but it's probably going to be quite a number of sessions before you see even any improvement in in your relationship with food um but yeah it 100 for me uh, a non-negotiable from that regard um another piece of advice we we would give is to if you feel a binge coming on it can be helpful to just wait a few minutes before you kind of head to, to, to go through with the binge, to just sit in that moment and that feeling of discomfort with with your need or want to binge. Because what if the binging is a way to avoid experiencing and yeah. dealing with emotions? Like I'm a pretty emotionless guy, but like that tip has been the biggest piece of advice that I've found helpful for a lot of people. The goal of that tip is not to use it to prevent the binge. Yeah. 
you, you don't put that kind of pressure on or anything like that. You just think about it in terms of being like two minutes where you just experience it. You just feel the emotions. Having self-awareness about what you're doing and why you're doing certain things can go a long way. It's not going to solve everything immediately, obviously. Um, like, like you said, it's not going to necessarily stop a binge from happening, but being very aware of potential triggers for that binge, exactly how you're feeling, potential things you're avoiding, um, can be a really integral, integral part of the process of overcoming binge eating. Um, so it is a piece of advice I do give as well. Yeah, for sure. Because, like, yeah, even if it turns into a binge after that, you've still gotten the benefit from feeling the emotions. Yeah, and this is where I do actually get people to journal. Like, prior to a binge, just journaling how you're feeling. Like, it could just be completely incoherent. Um, But if you're journaling and really sitting in that discomfort, it can be be good. Yeah, super interesting, yeah. Because, like, I, I actually don't get people to journal but it's one of the most common themes that I've seen is like an actually really good recommendation I just I just don't get people to do it like it's just not my thing but like yeah it's, it's really beneficial yeah um and in conjunction with that I did briefly talk about body dissatisfaction previously um but usually for, for a lot of people having some kind of issues with their body image is going to be part of a binge eating disorder because I mean usually it, it does kind of tie in with the fact they're trying to lose weight a lot of the time, dissatisfied with their body, leading to binge. They're in this like cycle of going through this again and again. So you really can't overcome this without working on that body image stuff. So what I always find helpful is is not necessarily taking it from the approach of like, oh, self-love, everyone's body is beautiful. And I, I agree, like that stuff is awesome, but I don't think it's realistic to have positive thoughts about yourself all the time. But what can be helpful is just a bit of body neutrality, just trying not to connect how you look with your worth as a person and just trying to disconnect from yeah. that emotionally can be helpful. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. I it's once again such an interesting topic for me because one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of people who binge eat is their self-talk and how they talk about their body. They use a lot of like words that I wouldn't be comfortable using in terms of how they describe themselves. Like mm. I, don't, I don't even want to say them, but like they, they will call like I've, I've had guys like I'm pretty lean right now. And there's guys who are leaner than me who binge eat, who I've seen who call themselves fat pieces of etc. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, I just, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. And it's like, I don't want to be somebody who's like, oh, well, how you look has nothing to do with how you feel about how you look. Because that, once again, that's unrealistic. Like, that's not fair. But like seeing people who are that lean still having these feelings because they're like, oh, I don't have like shredded abs. Like, <laughs> I need to be leaner. Um, it, it shows that like that's probably going to be present for a lot of people. Um, it's just a very interesting space. And as you said, body neutrality very very going to help with this yeah and that's that's the I guess the approach I try to take as as opposed to love yourself because that's so hard like no one's everyone's gonna have issues with their body you could be you know any end of the spectrum in regards to how you look physically and then traditional beauty standards Yeah, yeah, yeah um but yeah taking a bit of a neutral approach that is is going to be beneficial um and for a lot of the people that I work with, where was I going with that? Social media. Yes, exactly. Uh, For a lot of the people I work with, I do like to recommend them really taking a look at their social media. So in obviously in this day and age where we have Instagram and, and TikTok, we get a lot of our 
body image. I personally feel like we get a lot of our body image issues from what we see online. Comparisons. Yeah. Look, I haven't dived into the research around that. It's but actually I think pretty it's, strong. Yeah, I feel like so- it would be strong. Yeah, higher social media usage is very strongly linked with eating disorders yeah. of all kinds. Yeah. So, you know, if you're following a lot of what I see often, people following a lot of like bikini prep competitors um, and people that have had a lot of surgical enhancements is – you know, sometimes you just need to go through your Instagram and who you're following and just get rid of all those people that are contributing to you and how you feel like negatively about your body. Um, and that can make a huge difference. It sounds so basic. It's like, oh, social media, you know, it affects us. Um, but it's true. And it like, yeah, the research really shows <laughs> yeah. that it actually does play a massive role. Um, we are almost out of time, so we'll have to wrap things up there. So... Hopefully, some people have gotten some value out of this. Hopefully, it does help a few people. Um, And even if you are not in this space, hopefully you found it interesting at least. So apart from that, thank you for listening.